Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. Hey, this is Adam. Recently, the smart home world has been rocked again by news of yet another company shutting down. This time, it's Insteon. And this one hits a little closer to home, especially for my co-host, Richard. On this episode of The Smart Home Show, we talk about what happened and, more importantly, the implications and choices that companies face when deciding to set up devices to either communicate locally over the network or via a proprietary cloud. My hope is that you walk away from this episode understanding the nuances better and choices that manufacturers have to make and can make some better informed decisions as a consumer. Enjoy. Hey everyone, I'm Richard Gunther from the Digital Media Zone. I'm joined as usual by my co-host Adam Justice from ConnectSense. Hey Adam. Hey Richard. I know we've been a, a little delayed here. You know, we've both been busy. You moved, you know, a lot going on, but we've got some, some good stuff to talk about today. We do. We do. So in case you haven't heard, Smart Labs, the company behind smarthome.com and the Insteon Smart Home products has shuttered operations and turned off their servers. So... Today, we're going to look closely at cloud control, local control of the smart home. Thanks for joining us. We'll look at the strengths and weaknesses of each and why both consumers and manufacturers might prefer to use one technology over the other. Sounds good. Um, but of course, before we start, uh, we always like to start with a question. You know, I know this one hits a little close to home. So my question for Richard is, what smart home failure or shutdown has impacted you the most? <laughs> well, you might think you know the answer to this. And four months ago, that answer would have been Insteon because I was living in an Insteon home. But if you heard our last episode, you know that I left all of the switches behind, which still all work. For the new owner, they can work without the hub. I took the hub out. But I am now not using the Insteon hub. I do have an Insteon device or two installed, but I didn't intend to connect them to the hub. I kind of want to now because I want to play with different alternatives to see how well they work or not. But for me, the answer is Staples Connect. Staples Connect was one of the early as Mike Wolf would call it, the originator of this show, box of radios that had a whole bunch of different radios in it that could communicate with a whole bunch of different types of devices. Seven or eight different radios, I believe, including Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, Zigbee, Z-Wave, a radio that could control Lutra and Clear Connect stuff, an Insteon control radio was one of the things that they were talking about adding at some point. So they had the ability to control locally all kinds of stuff. Of course, they relied on a cloud service to then 
control your hub and be able to log into the hub and set up things up and so forth. But that was actually a, a pretty big turn for me because I ended up moving away from that concept of one hub to control them all and ended up with what I have since referred to affectionately as Hubland up in my attic where a bunch of hubs and bridges were needed to control the different devices that I had. How are you? I was thinking hard about this one, and I don't think I've ever really been scorned heavily by any of these shutdowns. Wow. How have you lucked out like that? I don't know. I generally avoided some of these hubs and... No D-Link cameras or anything like that? No, I don't think so. Yeah, anything that I would have had was probably fairly minor. So yeah, I don't know. I've dodged some bullets. And I guess the best way to talk about that was like, I always, you know, went with bigger brands. I went with companies that worked with multiple ecosystems. I look for kind of some of those big tentpole manufacturers. And so far that strategy has mostly panned out to be a successful one. So I think maybe I just ramped up a little bit later than than others and just made some good choices in, in some of those respects. I've always agreed with that advice. You make that recommendation here on the show a lot, and I, I do think that that makes a lot of sense, frankly. So turns out that that's worked out well for you too. That's a good thing. All right. Well, if you want to submit a question for us to open the show, send us a question with the hashtag Ask Adam and Richard on Twitter. All right. We're going to tell this story a little bit differently than we normally would. Instead of a discussion in two acts, we're going to do this in three. And the first is going to be fairly short. I'm going to just give everybody kind of a lowdown on the Insteon situation. So first of all, if you're not familiar with Insteon, what is Insteon? Insteon was an ecosystem of smart home devices that used a proprietary communication protocol that they developed in-house. The folks at Smart Labs created this technology that allowed these devices to talk over power line, kind of the way that X10 used to, and that's the world that a lot of their folks came from, and added on top of that the ability to bridge between devices through RF. So they had this dual communication capability that they called dual mesh because in addition to two lines of communication, the devices were repeating. And so they ended up having this mesh mechanism where they would send out a signal, it would go out these two channels, Devices would listen for it, and if it wasn't for them, they would pass it along, and messages could get bounced, I think, three to five times, depending on how you set up your system. And the messaging was very, very lightweight. The thing that was great about how this was defined is that they created this concept of groups where you have devices, controllers, and responders, responders being a light or a switch or whatever, and every device in the system knows I am a part of these groups. And being associated with this group, I know that I am a responder to this group and I do this thing when I hear the code for this group. So all that stuff would get programmed on the device when you configure it 
And then the only signal that has to go out is, okay, group one, do your thing. Group five, do your thing. And that's how you would trigger scenes. So the communication was very lightweight as well. Another cool thing about this stuff is that it could all be programmed locally. You didn't have to have an app to do any of that. In fact, when NCM products first came out back in 2005, 2005, that's 17 years ago. That's way before the iPhone. That's way before most smartphones even really had any sort of ground. And you could do all of this locally from the devices and with some controllers or remotes that they also made available. And then eventually, as technology improved and we got phones and uh, we started looking at this concept of hubs in a smart home, they introduced a hub that allowed you to do this programming and to control and create schedules. And then they came out with a hub, too, that allowed you to get remote access, access from outside your home, as well as integrate with third parties, which is how you get voice control and get your Harmony remote to control your lights and all sorts of things like that. So that's kind of what Instian was. I say was because the parent company became insolvent. They had more debt than they could pay. And we now know that they transferred ownership of the company and its assets to another entity to sell off the assets to pay the debts. And in doing so, they gave notice zero to their customers, zero to their integration partners and developers, no notice whatsoever. Now, we can debate about how irresponsible that is at some point in time, but the end result of that is that people found themselves in a situation where their dependency on a proprietary system and access to their hub through the cloud left them without a workable system. It left them without schedules. It left them without the ability to pull up their app and control things in their homes. It left some people who, some may argue, improperly installed devices so that they were the only way to control something like, say, a control fan with a canopy controller and no physical switch anywhere. Not a good idea. It left them in a lurch. Like they had no way to turn some devices on and off, which is just bonkers. The good news is that in this case, you have other options. Like I said, the stuff is designed to work locally. So if you're not looking for outside control and you really just want to control something from one side of the room or the other, or within your home with keypads and scenes, you can do all of that with the Instion products. They're not useless doorstops. Unlike what Corey Drochtrow has been uh, tweeting in an article from Ars Technica, they did not brick every device they ever made. You're Devices still work. The hub is what doesn't necessarily work. But there are options there too. There are multiple hobbyist solutions that can either use your hub or a different communication device, the PLM, that is something that they also used to make and sell. Now, they're quite expensive on eBay if you can find one, surprisingly. <laughs> and and price rising <laughs> by the minute, probably. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So these are things like the the ISY from Universal Devices, Homebridge and Home Assistant, Hoobs. 
they all have plugins that can repurpose your existing hub and use it as a communication channel to your devices. Hubitat, Homeseer, OpenHab, but all of these are real hobbyist systems. These are not things that you're just going to like pick up at a Best Buy and run. These are things you're going to run on a Raspberry Pi or on a server somewhere. And it's not your average consumer type of thing. So for average consumers, they were kind of left in a lurch. I have a question for you. Yeah. So you said that they're going to sell off all the assets. In theory, could somebody buy up certain assets and turn some of this back on to give customers a reasonable thing? I mean, in theory, you could even... People might not like it, but somebody could buy those assets, turn on the servers and say, we can make this work again, but you're going to have to pay this subscription or, you know, something like that. Yes, absolutely. That could happen. The further we get from today, (laughs) from a week ago, the harder that's going to be for anybody that picks that up, because they're going to be fighting an uphill battle the entire time. They're going to be fighting the baggage that now comes with Instion, right? So that's going to be not an insignificant ordeal. I do know that Universal Devices, the maker of the ISY and the policy, two products that are designed to control Instion independently of your hub, meaning using this PLM, they say on their Facebook page that they are looking into trying to purchase that IP so that they could, in fact, produce those products. Interesting. And for the hobbyist crowd, and particularly for professional installations, to the extent that those exist, and they do, that might be the best option, really. Yeah. They obviously have closer ties to those customers and probably the infrastructure to support it, so... Yeah, and in case folks aren't aware of it, I mean, the the user base for the ISY is pretty significant. I I might estimate that they have somewhere between 20% of existing Instion product customers using the ISY as a means for controlling it instead of using Instion's own hub. Yeah, I mean, obviously, really tough news and tough news for anybody that has invested in these platforms, uh, yourself included, and you would hope that a company would do a better job. I, you know, I just got to wonder, you know, we may not know much about what's actually gone down, but it sounds like they just got blindsided and didn't even really have time to handle this right or well. So the only answer was just shut down. Yeah, You sound much more understanding than I'm feeling right now, but I'm very close to this. This is probably a good time for my usual disclaimer that as recently as nine months ago, I was a consultant to Smart Labs working on the Nokia product with them based on the Insteon technology. So, yeah. Anyway, this frames a discussion that we are going to have about the cloud. What should you be looking at, the cloud or local control, and why, and from different perspectives? Again, Adam's a product manufacturer. I'm a consumer. How do we look at these two potential solutions? 
All right. So I think we're going to take a quick break for sponsors and then we'll dig into that a little further. Everyone says that starting a podcast is easy, but let me tell you, making a podcast is hard work. That's where today's sponsor, Lightning Pod, comes in. If you have a podcast or you want to start one, then you should check them out. They can help you with every step of the podcast production process. We've been working with Lightning Pod founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. Eric currently helps us with editing and copywriting, but he's also available to help your podcast with recording, monetization, website design, and more. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. All experience levels are welcome. So whether you're a veteran podcaster or a total newbie, you should check them out. That's lightningpod.fm. All right. So as Richard said, we're going to talk a little bit about kind of this cloud versus local approach. And obviously, whenever something like this happens, you know, we as an industry and consumers all kind of reflect on, okay, how did we get here and how do we not let this happen again? And unfortunately, I think it's just something that can come in a fairly young industry. You know, as far as smart home has come along, it's, I would still consider it fairly young. And unfortunately, you know, there's a lot of uh, examples of this in our industry over and over again, where people have continued to get burned. So in terms of why manufacturers go down these different roads, we wanted to kind of talk about both cloud and local control and and kind of what each of those gets you. So cloud gets you remote access and control. You know, I think one of the things why cloud has become more and more almost essential in this space is the integration with third-party products. So, you know, in the earlier days of smart home, everything was done with local integrations, but that's a lot harder to do, to test, to certify. It's a lot more complicated. And at the same time, cloud matured. It got more affordable. And it's just a lot faster development. Cloud also gives you lighter hardware requirements, When you're doing complex stuff at a local level, you sometimes require higher-end processors that can run Linux, that can run, you know, more complicated stacks, as opposed to a device that's reporting to the cloud can use just a small chip that can be as affordable as sub $1. And when you start to look at processors that can do run Linux, stuff like that, you're talking 10, 20, 30, $40. So, you know, the market demands costs to go down in these things. And, you know, people complain when devices are too expensive, but these are kind of some of the reasons why this comes up. Obviously, there is a cost to creating and maintaining cloud services. And there's all kinds of things that can go down with that. I think the other aspect I wanted to talk about with cloud too is that especially some of these earlier companies, and we even kind of went through this ourselves, sort of rolled their own with cloud services. So, you know, you were sort of building stuff from scratch. You weren't using industry standard stuff. You were building things to meet your requirements as opposed to using stuff like AWS and some of their standard services. You know, we've since 
for our stuff going heavily behind AWS. So that allows us our cost of cloud services and cloud development to go way down because we're not doing custom stuff just for us. The cost of running that cloud AWS is always trying to reduce those costs and will significantly reduce that price over time. So that is definitely something that's changed in later years. But if companies fail to, sometimes there's this sunk cost fallacy and you have a huge investment in a custom proprietary solution, it can seem pretty daunting to move to something industry standard. As far as local control goes, local means at the device or the local network. You know, often the concept used or the the word buzzword here is called edge computing. But as we talked about, this can require more processing power, which increases the costs. Sometimes you can have both on the same device, but, you know, that also can make things a little bit more complicated. So as far as apps go, you can also have apps that configure and control devices on the local network or via the cloud or or some of both. The one thing I'll say about local control and on device stuff, too, is that you also have to maintain and support whatever protocol and access you give to that. And then I think the other thing at play here can also be security too. So obviously companies are trying to be very security conscious and anytime you're opening up more doors, there are more opportunities for things to go wrong as well. So I think those are all things that kind of come in play with some of these considerations and how you know manufacturers are looking at some of this. So when we were talking before the show, one of the things that you talked about as a really big benefit of cloud is the ability to not be dependent on, say, one of the big guys like Apple or Google or Amazon, if they're doing something that would allow you to control things locally and you wanted to take advantage of that, or even if you just wanted to do stuff that leveraged things on their cloud, you're dependent on what they support. And right. that can slow you down. So there's this inherent what, – what was that you used? You used a really clever calculation where uh, that cloud equals control plus speed. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think often – also, where where this comes into play is that companies are trying to respond to customers and add new features. These are all things, you know, we as consumers demand. Well, we wanted to do this. We wanted, you know, one of the great things about these devices is they can change and get better over time. But to do that quickly and nimbly, when you control your full cloud stack, you can control both ends of that equation and better, you know, get to those features and all of that. When you're going through some of those other players, you're at their mercy, their update cycle, their interest in whatever you want to do, all those things. So, you know, that's all well and good if you're a smart plug and you want to go on and off. If you want to do something more complicated, and I won't go into too many details, but we've definitely experienced this with some of the bigger players where uh, we've come to them with things we wanted to do. And they said, no, this is the profile. This is what it's doing. And it's not going to change. 
and even stuff where, you know, we wanted something that's really just a variation on something they have. They were, no, we're not going to do that. So it can be rather constraining either to the speed aspect where they'll do it, but they'll do it when they get around to it. Or they just flat out say, no, this is the profile. If you want to go through it, this is how it has to work through our service. So that can be a bit of a frustrating aspect to, and if you want your entire product to go through there, you're at their mercy. And I actually think a good example of this is why you haven't seen Ring ever make the jump over to HomeKit is because they want to do it their way. And probably once it became clear what they had to do to do video through HomeKit, it either didn't work from a technical perspective or a political perspective or both. And it just no longer made sense to do that. So that's why, you know, we've probably had those promises broken along the way is because they all thought it could happen, but somewhere somebody didn't want to move on that. So... Right. And Jamie has pretty much said as much. I mean, when he was on Home On, he talked about not wanting to put something out on any ecosystem that fell short of what they wanted to deliver to customers, that it had to be right for everybody involved. That was his answer to when are we getting HomeKit? (laughs) Right. So I get that. And I guess the other thing that I was thinking as you were talking about how nowadays we have all these different cloud providers offering IoT packages, the foundation for IoT cloud services like AWS, that didn't exist before. That's going to accelerate your ability to put a product out now, too. Do you know, are there libraries one could use that are commonly available for, okay, well, if you want to work locally, you could use this set of libraries that's designed to work over IP with a local device or something like that. I don't even know if stuff like that exists for companies making product to take advantage of. Yeah. As far as I know, there isn't. And so there's no like standard, here's how to talk to these things over the network. And so you're kind of on your own to set it, secure it and maintain it. So that can be quite challenging. The closest thing would be, you know, I know we've done some stuff with in the pro world and actually our friend would be a good one to ask about this. It's like those people, you know, all the pro platforms have their own local protocols that they talk on. And so you have to do things to support those, but that's the closest thing to a standard. And those are still proprietary local protocols. So I don't think anybody's ever really standardized some of that. Yeah. I mean, I get the feeling that that isn't significantly different from say a Z-Wave hub or a Zigbee hub or something like that. It's just a larger control system that through IP has protocols for communicating with different devices that can either communicate over IP, over serial, over a variety of different mechanisms. Yep. 
So it's more costly to go local, but there are advantages to it. Now, let's use this as an example. You had spoken with me or, or spoken on the show when we've been talking about different products that some of your products have the ability, for example, to run schedules locally. One of the things that people were freaking out initially is that my Insteon lights didn't come on last night. Well, that could even happen with an outage. Even if you just had a network outage, that can impact your access to the cloud at the time that your schedules are supposed to work and they wouldn't work. If that's something that you have on the edge, that's not something that you have to worry about as a consumer. Yeah, that was a decision we made with our outlets to... It had a number of implications, but it just seemed to be more reliable to push those schedules down to the devices and have them check in from time to time as they change. But I think probably even from a cost perspective, if you have to send that command to that unit every time that schedule changes, that could get quite costly as your fleet grows and people add more complex things. So the engineering team decided that was a much more reliable and also cost-effective way to do that, and it's worked out well. And that's actually something we're trying to make available to more of our devices as we make some changes in our apps in the future. But it's been well-received, and it seems to be pretty reliable. Is there anything else you would necessarily suggest to a product developer or a product manufacturer that they should be thinking about long and hard before they make one decision or the other? Yeah, I definitely, uh, I didn't thoroughly endorse, but I would say go with one of these standard mature protocols and ecosystems. AWS, I think, is probably one of the strongest. You know, Google and Microsoft have some offerings, but they're still not as mature as AWS. And I would also look at how does this scale and what do these costs look like scaling? And as you start rolling stuff out too, what does the real world look like? What does usage look like? What do costs look like as these devices are actually in the field doing what they're doing? I think another aspect too that we didn't even talk about If you were truly local only on a device, there's no ability to update firmware from the cloud. And I actually think firmware updates from the cloud is a huge strength, not only for products to get better over time, but also from a security aspect. If you are local control only, then the user would have to facilitate that upgrade and a That just doesn't happen or somebody has to maintain that. And there's just a lot more things that can go wrong in that thing. Some people like that, too, because they want to keep it stable and updated and things like that. So I think that's another aspect to keep in mind. We talked about this extensively in a prior episode, but something that I kind of harp on with my clients is you need to have a failure plan. You need to have a plan in place for what happens if you're not around to pay the bill for the server or if for whatever reason your products can't connect to the cloud, how can they be used? What can your customers 
do with those products still? Are they still useful in any way? In the case of Insteon products, their customers are somewhat lucky that there are other ways to control them. There have been many other product lines that have gone defunct, and we'll talk about them a little bit more in the next segment, where their customers were not so lucky. And they basically had dead or completely dumb products in the best case. So I really do think that the way that you handle this is really important too. The way that you plan for the possibility of failure is a key here. And then certainly the way that you communicate it or not sometimes. All right. Well, we're going to take another quick break for sponsors and then we'll return with more smart home discussion. So Adam was just running through some of the things to think about from the manufacturing side. I'm going to look at this a little bit from the consumer side. If you were watching Twitter and happened to follow some people who use Instian, or like I did, created a feed on the search term Instian and just watched the slow train wreck all day long when this transpired, you would have seen people and their vitriol and their frustration coming out. And the result of that, with many of those people, and even on the most recent home tech podcast, they were talking about this, Gavin was saying, it's simple. Don't use the cloud. Don't rely on the cloud for anything. Is that practical? Is that even possible nowadays? I don't think so. You need the cloud for a lot, right? Maybe there are ways that you can minimize your dependency on it, but you need your cloud basically for any external access. Unless you want to play IT pro in your home and be responsible for poking holes in your router's firewall, which... I seriously wouldn't recommend. Yeah, I would put it down to three core things. Remote access, software updates, and third-party integrations. So you think people are going to be okay with not being able to integrate with Amazon, Google, some of these other cloud-to-cloud integrations? Like, throw that all out the window. (laughs) Well, throw it all out the window, but do you need to depend on... Does your foundation need to be built on that cloud? That's the thing that I think people are perhaps most concerned about. So yeah, you're right. Those three things, like being able to control something outside the home, if that's important to you, to be able to monitor something outside the home, that notification you get when someone's at your front door, or you know the ability to check in or get notified that someone didn't come home when they should have, that all requires some sort of external access to what's going on inside your home. And the cloud is what enables that for most consumers. You also said, you know, you don't want to be an IT pro and open up ports for remote access, but you also don't want to be an IT pro for figuring out basic things on how things can talk over the network. So I think one of the other aspects of this is, as a manufacturer, the more we can control, the better experience we can provide. Everything that is outside of our hands is another possible 
point of failure. And if everything's happening on your network, as networks become more locked down or things are less allowed or the different router manufacturers, like even just getting stuff online is still the biggest issue in tech support in our space. And so when you add more complexity to that, those are just more things that can go wrong. So that would be my counter argument to someone who says local only is the way because it just opens up a a whole nother host of potential issues. Well, and I think it likely speaks to a different audience. I get the feeling that anybody who is saying local and local only has the technical knowledge that they need to A, understand what that means and B, know how to get there, know how to work around those limitations and either handle with or live with some of those issues. And that's not your average consumer. That's not how you get products out to the general public in a way that makes them usable for the babysitter or for mom or whomever. So I think that's part of the challenge there. The other thing that the cloud gives you, and we saw something, we saw a couple of products do this, including you know me, which is a service that allows you to use the cloud to connect to a bunch of different ecosystems and essentially automate and create cross integrations between ecosystems, all using the cloud without a hub. Now, granted, the systems you have may have a hub, but in theory, you could have a hubless smart home with just an app that communicates to all your things or all of your things that have bridges. But the idea of a box full of radios just goes out the window. It's not necessary anymore. You can have this integrated capability, again, because of the cloud. Now, the negatives, you could experience outages. There have been highly publicized outages on Google's home network, on the Nest devices, on Ring devices, just around the holidays last year. And when that happens, it makes everybody kind of sit up and think, oh, well, what things are we relying on the cloud on? I've come to realize it's also made, and this is probably a good thing, manufacturers sit up and think, well, do we need to use the cloud for this, this, and this. Maybe we could do some of these things without the cloud. Maybe we could do some of these things locally. For example, should I not be able to adjust my Nest thermostat if I can't get to the cloud? That's nuts, right? Now you can absolutely use your Nest thermostat without it connecting to the cloud. Right. Well, I think to your point earlier too, it drives home the fact that local control of devices is so important. And I think you and I have always spoke highly of a great smart experience includes a great physical user interface that works regardless of what else is going on with this product. Right. So I think when you don't have that, like your example of somebody that could only control their fan with their phone that's bad news. So I think that's part of this, that as a consumer, 
always make sure you have that great manual control as one of the things you're looking at. Yep. Now, when we talk outages too, we're not always just talking about, oh, something happened to the service. It could be your provider. Your provider could have a glitch or as we all experienced, I think it was five or six years ago now, you could have some major backbone provider has an issue and half the country can't get to their Amazon web services. It has nothing to do with Amazon, has nothing to do with your smart home product service. There's a cut in the wire somewhere in the line and you can't get to what you need to get to. So that had, that gets people thinking too. The other thing, and I think this is probably the most important point here, is that the shutdown of so many product lines that relied on cloud services is starting to give the IoT cloud a bad name, a bad rep. And I just put a list of stuff together that I could think of. And Adam, you've added more because I hadn't thought of everything, even though I've talked about many of these. D-Link cameras I mentioned earlier, you can't use those anymore. No services to use them anymore. Staples Connect I mentioned at the top of the show. Best Buy's Insignia Connect products. TCP Lighting, a longtime lighting company known globally, had a TCP connected line. They're all dead. Lowe's Iris, that system went down. Wink is kind of I don't know what Wink's doing these days. It's walking dead, but it still functions. Now, Insteon is dead. At least the hub is and the services are. iHome shut down some of their services or all of their services, making some of their products no longer usable. And uh, we just heard recently that LifeX is in receivership. So there's a possibility you could have some problems with LifeX bulbs. LifeX bulbs... They ain't cheap. Here might be the answer to our opening question for me, because I have a number of LifeX bulbs in my house. So. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> they're well, coming for me. That on you. <laughs> I don't wish that on you for sure. But every time this happens, the press picks it up, the geeks come out, and I'm a geek, so don't at me, right? But the geeks come out and say, no cloud, we shouldn't use the cloud. This is why you can't rely on the cloud. And I get it. I totally get it. But if you're going to do local, it ain't going to be easy. As a customer, it's going to be a much more difficult experience. It's possible. In many cases, you can do a lot of what you want to do. But like I said, it requires that additional expertise that you may or may not have, whether it's IT and security expertise or... If it's the fact that you probably are going to have to have a hub or set up a server somewhere in your home or maybe run a script, I don't think you ever want any consumer that buys a product off the shelf to have to run a command line script to do anything. That's not going to work. As a hobbyist? Yeah, sure. Why not? You might be able to do that. But Adam, remember, we talked about this hub versus no hub, which camp are you in concept years ago now, I think it was. You're going to have to just suck it up and probably have a hub. 
And if you don't have a hub, you're going to have a server that, let me tell you something, that server, that's a hub. That's the job that that thing is doing. It's providing local computational capabilities to be able to control and allow you to interact with your devices. So there are trade-offs. It's also not that easy to just find products that you know will work locally. Many, many products will not. Many products cannot be controlled locally. And it's not something that most manufacturers are going to be putting on their boxes, right? It's not something that is going to be easy to tell just by looking at a product in a store. You're going to have to do a lot of research, probably be looking on Reddit and different communities, forums and such to try and find out what's working for people and what isn't, what maybe has drivers for whatever local system you're using. Some systems except for external access and third-party integration are exclusively local. So I thought it might make sense to just end the consumer side of this discussion with a little bit of discussion about the different ecosystems and what they're doing in terms of local access. And Adam, please weigh in here because I know that you didn't really talk about too many of the ecosystems except broadly saying, hey, it's kind of harder to integrate with all of these if they're not doing what you want them to be able to do. Apple is the first thing that comes to mind. Apple HomeKit is, and I'll say parenthetically, mostly local. If you have a device in your home like an Apple TV or a HomePod or a dedicated iPad somewhere in the home, they act as internal routers for your smart home traffic and can control your smart home stuff. When they work. (laughs) (laughs) When they work. I had some recent experience with this because my parents' network just stopped responding, not locally. And basically, Mm. we had to like reset their HomePod and reset their Apple TV and try and get it back. I think it fixed it, but we didn't change anything. So that can also be wonky. That is, I think, I like to think a rare thing, but I have known that to happen occasionally. So that's not fun. But for the most part, everything that you're doing when you're communicating with stuff in your home and you're setting schedules, that's all running somewhere on one of those devices, either on the device itself or on one of those Apple devices I just mentioned that is communicating with and controlling those devices. The only thing that Apple is using the cloud for is so that you can get to it when you're outside of your home. And you can determine the status or even control things. Otherwise, all the control is happening locally from one of those Apple devices somewhere in your home. Yep. Now, Google... Google Home is largely a cloud-based service, but Google is working with some vendors, a select group of vendors, to allow them to connect and control some of their devices locally. 
So you'd have local IP control or local Bluetooth control, I believe is the radio that they're supporting right now, from a Google or a Nest home device. Now, I think they're all called Nest home devices to devices in your home to be able to control them without going over the cloud. But that is kind of still in the works and will ultimately, I think, always be a vast, vast, vast minority of devices that you can hook into Google Home. Yeah. The other one I added in here, too, is a lot of these pro systems are local-based, your Control 4s, your Savants, or whatever. But the ability for the end user to get in and tinker with that stuff often is very locked out. I'm obviously not the biggest expert in this world. Uh, You can talk to Seth about that, but it's for a certain kind of customer who doesn't want to deal with that stuff, but will hire a professional to do that and configure it for them. But I think some of the people we talked about that are angry now are people that want to have that level of control. And so that wouldn't necessarily work for them. Yeah, no, right. I I think that's a fair assumption. Along the line of the popular ecosystems, Amazon Echoes, for a long time now, have been able to connect and control some Zigbee devices locally. And I remember when they first introduced this, we all kind of scratched our respective heads and thought, why? And I don't even still really understand their end game there, but it is possible. You do have the ability to control Zigbee devices locally there. Similarly, the Ring Alarm uses Z-Wave to control its local devices and has a number of radios on board as well. So smart home stuff that your alarm system might be doing is controlled locally. And frankly, speaking of alarm systems, most security systems control stuff in your home, even if they're adding smart home support, most of them try to use local control to do most of that because part of the whole thing with the security system is that it needs to work even if you're not connected to something. So you'll probably find that they offer those. SmartThings has been making an interesting move. They've been doing both. They've been moving to provide cloud-only integrations. For example, you can connect to Philips Hue, if I, I'm pretty sure this is a correct example, either using or not using the SmartThings hub, like an actual connection. So you can just use the app and use the cloud capability to communicate with Philips Hue, and that will allow you to use SmartThings to control those things. But at the same time, they are also very proactively moving to provide more support of devices locally. That's one of the things that they talked about at the last big Samsung conference where they talked about smart things. So they are trying to look at ways of making more local control available to customers. Habitat is a solution that came out kind of because smart things wasn't doing that fast enough, wasn't providing local control. And Hubitat is a hub 
that offers a scripting language similar to what SmartThings used to use. So if you're familiar with that, you could potentially move to Hubitat and kind of feel at home being able to do all the things that you could do there. But they also do offer cloud integrations. But, you know, if you're talking with your Lutron stuff, you're talking with your Hue stuff, you're talking with your Zigbee or Z-Wave stuff, it's going to do all that stuff directly and locally without having to go through the cloud. Have you heard about this new protocol called Matter? It's going to fix all this stuff. We don't need to worry about any of this. I did. I, I heard about this. We've talked about this. And in fact, one of our favorite people... Jenny Tui recently wrote about this puts a big load on the doorstep of matter right now, right? This whole thing with cloud services failing makes the expectations on matter kind of even higher. It makes the stakes higher for matter to work. Yeah. And I mean, um, we're not going in depth on matter, but you know, it's been delayed and delayed and delayed. And if you follow me on Twitter, my stance on this is good, which people may be growing impatient, but I think with those stakes as high as they are, it needs to be right. And right is better than right now. And yep. we need to be patient and let it cook as long as it needs to cook within reason and get it right. Agreed. Totally agreed. So... I don't know. I don't know how we boil this down to a bottom line. On the consumer side, I think you need to do what's best for you. If you don't want to rely on the cloud, just know the path is going to be harder. It's going to take more work on your part. It doesn't mean that you can't create a wonderful experience for everyone in your household. You probably can, but it's likely going to take more effort on your part to build and maintain that in a way that works for everyone. Yeah. And I think for manufacturers, it's a balance of what do you need to do to get to market? What do you need to do to serve your customers? And what are customers asking for? And just kind of knowing your customer, your audience, and what the best solution for them is going to be. I think with some of this, you know, if I was a manufacturer starting from scratch today, I would consider what can be local and what should be and think about that and, and what the trade-offs are. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, you have to balance what's right for your customers and what technologies and setups and ecosystems and all those things are required to, to get there. Makes good sense. All right. Well, we have a question from a listener to end our show. And this one comes from Dan via Twitter. Dan asks, would you recommend a smart home camera as a baby monitor? And if so, which one? And I said, <laughs> Dan, I don't have kids. <laughs> so I reached out to... The best folks that I knew to answer this question, which was a bunch of home tech professionals, many of whom do have kids. And while some folks said, yeah, I bought a, just a Wisecam or I, you could use this product or that product, 
the resounding answer that I got from most folks was, don't do this. And the reasons seemed completely logical to me. One, if you absolutely don't have a good reason for video, you may just be better off with something that's audio. Secondly, if you don't have a good reason for needing access outside your home, then don't do it. Because what's likely to happen is that you are going to obsess over the video of your baby. You are always going to have access to look at what your baby is doing at any hour of the day, no matter where you are, what you're doing, or whom you're with. That may not be the healthiest thing for you. It may not be the best approach. The other reason is that as home tech pros, many of these folks know all too well Smart home products are just generally more complicated than single point solutions. And if you want a baby cam or a baby monitor, buy a baby cam or a baby monitor. So that was their advice. I thought it made sense. I can weigh in here. I have children. To the point about audio only, the first two kids, at least our first son, we had just an audio baby monitor. I think the reason for video is that audio doesn't tell you the whole story. And with video of a baby, you can see what's going on. Why are they making noise? What is actually the situation? And as a parent, if you don't need to go into that room and reset the clock of getting a baby to go to sleep, you don't want to. And so if you see on the video a kid whose eyes are closed and are looking sleepy and just making a little bit of noise, that's very valuable to know. Makes sense. Makes sense. I did have for our daughter and our last child some Arlo cameras that I use to monitor her. I would largely agree with all of the advice that a smart home camera can be used in this, but it's not the ideal solution or, you know, that's not what that camera is designed for. And so I totally agree with what you said, which is buy a product that's built around a baby. And when I learned about this, our daughter was maybe one, one and a half. And there's this company called Nanit that builds baby cameras. And this is the highest tech, awesomest baby camera out there. It can even do, they have ways to put clothing or wraps on your baby that will, that have like machine learning patterns on them and can detect breathing rates. So there's like safety aspects, all kinds of awesome stuff. They actually do baby sleep tracking through the camera and can tell you, you know, the early ages of parenting, things are a little blurry because there's very little sleep involved. And so they can tell you how many times you actually went in to deal with the baby or things like that. <laughs> so for all of our employees and new parents, that's what we buy them as a baby present. And everybody seems to really love that. So if you want to go high end, um, high recommendation for Nanit. Never used it myself, but know lots of happy customers or explore some of the other options built for that purpose. 
Cool. And of course, if you have any other smart home questions, you can send it our way using the hashtag AskSmartHomeShow on Twitter. All right, Adam, good talking with you once again. If people are interested in finding out what you are up to these days, where should they go? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Adam Justice or everything our company's working on at ConnectSense.com. How about you, Richard? You can find me on Twitter at Richard Gunther. You can also find new episodes of Home On, including a complete rundown of what I knew about Instion at the time a couple days ago at thedigitalmediazone.com. And of course, this show is part of technology.fm, which is a collection of great tech-focused podcasts, including Home Tech FM, The Spoon Podcast, and Home On. And smarthome.fm is where you're going to find our show notes and details about each episode. Send us some feedback at feedback at smarthome.fm and find our shows anywhere you look for podcasts. And if you like it, do us a favor. Tell a friend and subscribe or follow if you don't already. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. 